Everybody tells you that you need to buy real estate as an investment, but no one really tells you how. Hey, this is Sharon, and today I talked to one of my favorite Canadians, Jeff Thibodeau. He's an entrepreneur, a real estate investor, an all-around real estate ninja, and we talk about how to buy your first real estate investment without breaking the bank. This is a very special two-part episode, and it starts right now. One thing is for certain, just because it's tried and true doesn't mean it's working right now. So the big question is this, where can you learn what is working right now? The strategies, the tactics, the psychology, and the exact how-to, how to grow your business, how to blow up your personal brand and supercharge your personal growth. That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. My name is Sharon Trivata, and welcome to Business School. Jeff, the first question that most people end up asking you and me is, hey, you guys are real estate guys. How do I find this first real estate investment? I've been thinking about it for weeks, months, and years. And it's one of those where you're like, well, how much time do you have? Because this is not, this is not like going and buying a Louis Vuitton bag. So when someone kind of throws that question at you, where do you start? Where do you start from? Yeah, I think I love to take the example of like, if it's a buddy too, and there's just no sales context at all, right? It's just like pure advice. And for, for most of my sphere too, it, it, the question's coming up a lot because I've become a very active investor in the last few years publicly too with, with my social media. And so everyone's like, hey, how do I get into that? And I'm like, the most important question is, is like, what type of effort do you want to put in, right? Because it's going to be something. Um, if you just want to be a passive investor, there's ways to do that, to put your money to work. But, but it's really like, what, what piece of the puzzle do you want? Because I know personally for me, the thought of being a landlord is what actually held me back for like a decade of having a real estate license, but never buying anything for myself. Um, but once I had a partnership that kind of took that off my plate, I suddenly realized, oh, I could have just had property management all along, right? You're right. Um, so I think it, it's important to get into like, where's your life at right now? Like, how much do you want to learn and be active in the process? And, and do you want to be a landlord? Do you need cash flow? So I think it's, it's like a sit down around how does a real estate investment fit into your life and your whole big plan? I call that the lighthouse when I'm coaching and stuff. Yeah. But uh, most people, I think, start from the wrong place, which is like, hey, here's an opportunity. Yeah, I, I got to grab it or it's going to be gone. And you and I both know there, there's another one around the corner every two yep. seconds. So uh, yeah, it, it's really going deep on how does being a real estate investor even fit into your life and goals and, and money? Yeah. Is there, um, so if I were, you know, a friend approached you and they're willing to do anything that you told them. And I, I love those kind of friends, right? Because I'd be like, hey, go and think about this and, and make some bullet points. And I actually love those friends I'd probably say nine out of 10 would be like, oh, that's cool. And they'll never do anything. But you have the one out of 10, they'll say, well, yeah, I, I have my lighthouse here. Here are my life's goals. I have my nine to five. I actually appreciate my, my life and my job, but I'm never going to be able to make it just by doing what I'm doing right now. So if you have that avatar of a person and that person is willing to kind of, you know, put their thoughts on paper, what is the first thing they should start to kind of put down a note down to give them a little charter? Well, I think it's interesting to think about like, you know, we all have been benefits of having a primary residence and seeing right. the effect that the equity pay down, right? Paying your own mortgage down rather than paying rent. 
and also the natural appreciation that, you know, some years it's good, some years it's flat, but overall, if you zoom out, like real estate does well, right. In terms of keeping up with inflation and, and holding value. So I think really just first, instead of thinking of it, some big thing, just conceptualizing what life would look like if you just bought your neighbor's house, right? Like just bought one other property, you know, just really simple. Like you can see it, there it is. Like, you know, it, you you can look over at it, not saying act on that, but as just a simple thought experiment, like what if, what if even when you bought your current house, you, you bought yours and your neighbors, if that was 10 years ago and just put a little mental math on that, where you'd be at today. And it starts to make a lot of the little things like, Ooh, do I have to learn an equation? Do I have to learn this? Do I have to be a landlord? Start to seem a lot smaller when you realize you might've just missed out on 250 or 300 grand of equity right next door to you the same time your, your house has been going up in value. So, I mean, I think, I think committing like you and I know anything, a lot of people, because the barrier entered can be a little high with, with the cash needed for your first investment. So it can seem risky people sit in analysis paralysis for like a decade sometimes. So I think getting in there, whether that's through a a partnership or through a smaller deal or just getting your feet wet somehow um, is the best way to get started and not necessarily need your first deal to be a home run, but just to get in there and do a deal, right? Especially if you haven't transacted in a, a property in a while. Yeah, so so I think um, the uh, you you nailed the neighbor's house analogy because a lot of times we as the only frame of reference that the um, kind of the, the average non-investor has is either the rent that they pay, which is totally cool, and I respect that, or the more or the home that they have, and they're like, well, I'll use simple numbers. Hey, I have a five hundred thousand dollar home, and for that I put a hundred and fifty thousand dollars down. Well, I don't have. $150,000 is lying around to go buy the next property. So there is this kind of entry high watermark there. Is that, how do you think about that from a, should I, should I say, well, is, is there a number that I should shoot for that I can put aside and then go look for it? Well, where can, how far can that number go? Maybe I have to go outside of where I live. I think that early initial investment really holds a lot of people back because they just don't know how to reverse engineer from that. Yeah. Getting, getting your first one. And it is a big commitment because it's like pushing a lot of chips into one venture. And if it's your first of anything, it's going to feel risky. Um, I think, you know, as another little thought exercise, thinking about um, flipping right in development or improvement is a nice way to think about how to create money out of thin air versus try to save it in your day job or pull it out of equity. So even thinking like looking around your own house and thinking, Hey, if I had to unload this today, what would I, how would I flip my own house? Like, and realizing it's actually not as hard as you think. It, most of these good real estate deals are just understanding one or two simple equations. And you and I know if the math works, the math works, right. you, you remove a lot of the risk out with good math and good formulas. So, you know, I think it's, it's by chunking it down to a place where you can feel like you can get in and be active in a deal without putting your whole life savings on the line the first time. Right. right. Um, that could be super stressful. I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. So, so let's, let's talk maybe like numbers. So is there a way, do you have any guidance around, um, is it a, is it a budgeting exercise where I say, okay, um, I know that I can, I can spend up to, you know, I can put up to 80 grand down and I can uh, spend up to another 10 grand in expenses, another 10 grand in buffer. So I have a hundred grand that I, I have to kind of play with. Now, do you say, okay, this is what I have from a resource perspective. Now let me go find Call it, like you and I call it the buy box, right? Now we know what the buy box is. Sure. Can we go find something based on that? Or should I be thinking about it from a different perspective? Well, I think if you're starting with, if you don't have that pool yet, 
I think if you're, if you're working to build it somehow, then I think you can get a little more creative and try to figure out how to do a, a kind of almost a $0 deal or a partnership. And we can talk about that in a bit, but say you yeah. did have a, a piece of capital, then yeah, I think you really want to focus in, you're going to need another huge chunk of capital, right? So you're going to need someone who's smart in terms of acquiring that capital, whether it's the mortgage market, the secondary mortgage market, or even private money. Um, it could be your, your mom has their house paid off, right? right. But you, you know, even if you saved your piece, you're still going to have to seek out some knowledge and some backing to buy the rest of it. And then that's going to give you a pretty clear understanding of what your total purchasing power is. Um, but still, we have to make sure that rents and cash flows make sense in your market. Because you could buy a $500,000 home in one market that makes huge rents and huge cash flow. And in the other market, it makes nothing. Um, so I think getting clear around also like how much you have to put in as terms of cash, but also what your expectations are on a monthly effort and cash flow basis. Uh, because negative cash flow deals aren't always the worst thing either if you can afford to keep uh, putting the capital into them every month, right? Yeah. So yeah, it's again, it already feels complicated, doesn't it? As we yeah, start talking totally. about it. Yeah. But so I think to me, you know, one of the best things you could do is find someone that's not 15 steps ahead of you. And you, I mean, you and I have talked about this in mentorship before too. You're, you're far better off finding someone who's one year ahead of you um, than someone who's 15 years ahead of you. So finding, you know, that secret investor, maybe your neighbor has an investment property. Maybe um, your cousin just posted they bought their first one and really just start to talk to people and gain that beginner knowledge because you can go to all these seminars and write these books, but they're all written by experts. And a right. lot of it is just like, <laughs> but it's not as hard as you think, right? Like if you bought your own house, you can certainly buy another one. And that's the first thing I start with, with everybody is like, you've already pretty much done this from one side or another. You've already been a tenant or you've already been an owner. So now we just got to add a few more skills to make you, you know, an investor. Yeah. And, and do you think that, so, so there's the money component, which, so if you just talk about the bigger pieces to the puzzle that people need to have first, yeah. first is the, okay, I'm interested. There's a, there's at least a soft commitment necessary. Otherwise we're not going to put any time into going down this path, but then there's the, okay, the first thing kind of that holds people back is, well, what's this money component? And I'd love to kind of in a minute, talk about this. There's a lot of zero down stuff. Like I've, I bought companies with no money down. If you can buy companies with no money down, you can buy anything with no money down, which is pretty no amazing. But once I, even if you have the money locked in, say I have a, you know, a hundred grand to kind of work with. And I use hundred grand just because hundreds an easy math number to work sure. with. Right. Um, you said the next thing was pretty, which is very interesting, which is all right. How do these market nuances work? And so uh, a $500,000 investment in one market based on, what it may, what, what it can fetch from a rent perspective versus $500,000 in another market. Now, am I starting to have to learn kind of market dynamics? Is that my, do I have to kind of go do that as an investor? There's a couple things you have to, I mean, I guess there's three main things you want to learn about a market. You want to learn affordability today. So like what your dollar buys you in terms of square footage or a unit, um, you know, and typically a, a habitable unit will be about the same price across a market, right? Some might be flashier, a little more, but you've got this core price zone where it makes sense um, because if things get out of whack and rents don't make sense and investors stop buying stuff. So, you know, this stuff seems complicated on the outside, but once you learn it for one market, you can really translate it and kind of apply that knowledge, even in cities you've, you've never visited or lived right. in. Um, so, so understanding what it's, what's there today 
And then understanding what market rents are. And, and again, you might have to go to a different data source. Here, depending on your city, it might be really well organized on a site like Zillow, or it might be all over some digital classified ads in Craigslist. But again, a little few phone calls to landlords asking what rents are and stuff, and you've got more market research than the average investor has, right? Yeah. And, then, and then the third one that really blends into the whole real estate thing is potential future, right? The appreciation or what's happening in that market because sometimes that can be the biggest component of what's about to happen, but it's also the most unknown. So you want to know are our cities on the up and up are areas on the up and up or, or is there a reason this thing's a deal, right? Is somebody on the way out? Cause they're smarter than you. Um, so I think once you kind of understand those three things, but I'll say from my own perspective, Sean, like, and I know you're an analytical type guy too. At the beginning, I can get way too deep into this stuff, yeah. right? Instead of just looking for the bigger stories and trends, and then looking for the opportunity. And instead of thinking I can math my way out of all of it or spreadsheet my way yeah. through the whole equation, I use the data to just tell me whether I'm, I'm pointed in the right, right direction. And then I go find a property that meets the needs uh, of this like cycle, right? And for an, a beginner investor, you want something that's pretty safe. It has low risk of going down in the short term. You know, you want to have some form of cash flow so you're not in a negative position. And I think ideally you want something that you can improve quickly so you could refi it and potentially cycle quicker than having to save up that second hundred grand. And that's, right. I mean, that's something we can get into too. But um, so there's a lot goes in because if you do your first one, right, then two, three, four comes a lot quicker. And we yeah. all know how much, you know, time is your asset in real estate yeah. investing. So the more you can do at the front end, the better things look in 20 years versus having to wait 10 or 15 years to buy your second property. Yeah. Let's um, in there, sorry. This is, no, no, this is good. So, so, so uh, that's exactly what we should talk about because the person listening is like, okay, I have, um, I'm making good income for my family. I have a decent lifestyle. I know that I need to diversify in some way to kind of create a wealth-based asset. I'm willing to put the time and willing to push the chips in, but I don't have, I, Sharon, as this first time investor, don't have the time to learn everything. And even if I do start learning, I don't know when I have enough knowledge here. So I want to ask the tough question, which I know you, you will kind of walk through really well. The first thing I do is, and I've talked to you a lot about this, which is like, I love outsourcing my success, right? Like, I'm like, okay, who can I hire that will help me through this process that has um, the incentives aligned, if you will. And I'd love to talk maybe just a little bit about how do you find a agent in a marketplace that can actually be a good guide, a good resource that can help you through this process? Like, is every agent a good agent? Can they do it? What questions should I as the consumer be asking to figure out? And like, I'd love for you to kind of talk through that as almost a, because I know, I know agents that are, would be really great at listing and selling my house as a primary investor, but I, I would never talk to them about an investment deal because they'd be like, Oh, Sean, this is a beautiful Spanish. And I'm like, well, that's great. But, 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 but it's got a beautiful red door. And I'm like, but that's great. You know? So um, let's talk about that because I, I don't think that most, most consumers are going to know maybe in deals three, four and five, they get a lot more depth, but how do they hire that partner on the ground? I mean, I think universally across advisors, right? Whether it's real estate agent, legal, your mortgage advisor, you want to make sure the person that's advising you is smarter than you. I mean, it sounds simple, right? But at least in that arena, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, at least, it, you know, at least, you know, you believe they're smarter than you at least, right? Because so you go down these roads. So if you find yourself being the one that's bringing information to your advisors, 
um, just question that, right? Like your, your advisor should be bringing you ideas that you consider and then potentially act upon. Remember, you don't have to do everything your advisors say either. Your job is to get a pool of them. And I'd say when you're looking for someone in this space, you want to look for the fact that they're active themselves. If, if a real estate uh, agent with a real estate license is not a real estate investor, that's not because, you know, they only do it for clients and not for themselves. It's because they don't do it at all. Right. And so there's a very different skill set involved. And I'll say too, I mean, even selling an investment property versus buying one is a very different skill set. Right. It's a lot more nuanced than buying a residential property because again, it's not just about falling in love and, and does this work for your school district? There's a lot of math. There's a lot of, you know, just costs and balances and and construction and uh, even zoning stuff that you might not have to come across with a residential property. So, you know, ask some tough questions, ask to see their portfolio, ask how many, um, ask to interview referrals for other clients of theirs that are investors. I mean, you'll know pretty quick whether people are talking the talk or actually walking the walk. Yeah. And do you actually think that, how do we give courage to the person right now listening, saying, it's okay to ask the agent, hey, um, walk me through the last investment that you did. Because I actually will, like, I've talked to my wife about this and she's like, well, I kind of feel like I'm asking this person how much money they have. And I, I told her, hey, do you remember when we interviewed financial advisors? I don't care how much how much money they have. Like, that's that's not fair. But I'm like, hey, walk, show me a screenshot of how you have your stuff allocated and explain to me why. Right. And, and, and if they told me, hey, I have all my stuff in bonds, that's fine as long as they can articulate their portfolio to me, because at least it shows me that, you know, you don't want the what do they say? The, 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 the cobbler's kids doesn't have shoes or something like that. Right. Like that's that's tough. You have an amazing skill and an asset. You got to uh, do that. How do we like how do you give somebody the courage to ask that question is my is kind of like my ask for you. Well, I think first recognizing, you know, I think there's two layers, honestly, in there. There's the one is like, we all want to seem smart to each other. So it's like, well, let go of that. If you're hiring an advisor, your job is to say, hey, what would you do? That's what I ask all my advisors all the time. That doesn't mean that's what I'm going to do. I want to know, hey, here's the situation. What would you do? And actually, as a real estate agent myself, that's how I try to answer most questions for my clients. I say, here, based on everything here, here's what I would do if this was my deal, but I respect it's your deal and I'll do whatever you want, right? Right. Um, so, you know, just, just asking for examples. And again, don't, I mean, don't think you're doing it as a, I gotcha moment. Do it from a genuine place if I want to learn, right? Right. Like if I want to learn something from someone who's experienced, I'm going to ask them to show me and and tell me how it works. And the other thing I would just have your radar out, whether you're the one bringing up ideas and they're just making it work for you, whatever your idea is, I want this. Sure. I can find you that. I want that. Yeah, that's great too. Or they're coming to you with potential opportunities they've found that they think might work or here's an angle or here's what I see in the marketplace. Um, knowledge is power ultimately in this game. You and I know both that like real estate's insider trading, right? Yeah. Like, and it's allowed. Uh, whoever <laughs> knows what's about to happen or where the values are going or who owns what or how I can assemble some properties or where rents are going, you're going to make better deals. And so you need those people on your side. Otherwise you're paying them all and you're still flying blind, right? So it's, don't feel guilty about it. Um, and also realize, here's the other point I think, uh, is that, you know, when you hire a residential realtor, it's usually a one-time transaction and you, you'll maybe see them again in, in seven years or something if you move again. But if you hit it off in a good uh, relationship with a investment realtor, you may be doing multiple transactions. You both will win, right? So it's worth taking the time to have a great partnership and someone you trust and you feel you can communicate 100% with 
then it's not just a salesperson you hire. Right. It's like, it's a consultant. It's an advisor if it really works out well. Yeah. Is there, um, Jeff, how do you think about when, uh, you know, I'll, I've talked to a lot of consumers and they'll say, well, I don't want to, I don't want to talk to an agent right now because I'm still kind of in the process of learning. And if I tell them that I'm in the process of learning and buying my first deal, you know, what incentive do they have to spend all this time with me? And how do you kind of respond to that? How do you think through that? I mean, I, I, that almost makes me chuckle because I would love to have those calls, right? Because the thing is, if, if another realtor who is doing a good job with their client, I have zero chance of obtaining that client in their lifetime unless they, they close their business down or whatever, right? right. But to grow a portfolio as an investment realtor, the only, the only real source you have is brand new people or referrals, right? right. So I, I love taking a client on a process and educating them because actually, you know, we learned this long ago. If, if you can help someone make money on their first deal, you are now going to be profiting for life in a relationship. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so I will, I will spend all that time to make sure that first transaction is super comfortable. Yeah. Um, and we're, I mean, we're unique in the sense too, of being realtors and active investors that sometimes we'll just let people in for a small piece on one of our deals to get a taste Sure. Yeah. or we'll just let them borrow or lend us money at a completely safe, secure, guaranteed interest rate, yeah. get a taste, feel comfortable, watch from the sidelines. Maybe we'll JV on the next one and then maybe you'll do one on your own. So to me, you know, a good relationship with any advisor feels fully transparent. And that's the key thing I'm looking for, right? I'm not trying to be sold or convinced by my advisors. I just want pure advice, knowing we're all adults and, and I don't have to take it. I'm just asking for it, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's totally. how you should do it too. And, and don't be, yeah, you know, you got to interview people. This is a lot of money at play. And again, we're talking about your investment portfolio. So we're not talking about your hairdresser. You know, yeah. although we all need a little haircut. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so the, the, just, just to kind of cap this off from a, from a perspective of, especially when you're getting into your first investment deal, when you're buying your first investment, uh, it is your recommendation and I, I, it is, it is mine. I have your thoughts, right? It is your recommendation to say, Hey, listen, don't go this gunslinging on your own. Um, work with an agent to represent you at least on your first deal to get all the mechanics. Don't just go try to like figure out what's off market. Be very careful. Right. Um, yeah. especially in the investment space, there's a lot of people out there. Don't think you're just going to be this hot gunslinger that hops into the market and finds a deal. If yeah. a deal's too good to be true, you're getting taken. Yeah. Right. Uh, there's a lot of savvy investors in every real estate market. So there's not usually killer deals on, on investment product. You have to find an angle. You have to have a little math or, or something that's different. Right. Um, so yeah, just, yeah, I, I would say you want to build your investment team. You want to get advice from other people that have already done it. One or two properties in people you trust that are telling you the truth and not trying to sell you anything and then build that all together and, and get ready, right? Go and do your first one because once you do one, then you can, you can back out, you can sell it, right? You can, you know, even as our, my investment team got together, our first few deals, not all of them were huge um, slam dunks, but you move on and you learn a ton and then your next few deals are slam dunks. So yeah. none of that's taught in a textbook, unfortunately. You know, yeah. you can go to as many late night seminars or, or YouTube videos as you want or podcasts, but the, the education you'll get from doing a deal and getting your hands dirty, um, but the key is to not risk it all a, a, on that first one so you don't burn and, and can't come back, right? Yeah. Let's, uh, so let me, uh, th that's a really good thing. Uh, so I have two questions. First one is, let's talk about that, which is um, there are different reasons people do deals. 
some people say, you know what, uh, this is a long-term thing. I only care. I don't care about, because uh, you can't have everything in every deal, right? You can't have it. You can't have amazing cash flow, buy it for really cheap and have insane appreciation over the next five years. Like th- that stuff, I've never seen all of that happen at one time. So um, how do you, so th- there's, how do you think about, you know, kind of like, a cash flow specific deal or an appreciation specific deal, or I kind of, is it just a, Hey, I'm never going to get this. I'm never going to get this part of Brantford at this price ever. What's, what's kind of like a way to think through what are the, the goals around big deals? Yeah. I mean, I think you all three, right? So, yeah. but when thinking, what is, what is your goal? Right? So one of them back to our very first, you know, that conversation we started with, which was, you know, when it comes down to cash flow, the answer is, do you intend to have rental income be part of your income? Or you, you got your job and your income figured out, right? Um, and so there's no right or wrong answer to that. It, it's your goal as an investor. Some people are looking to fast track so that their rental income is their full income and they can retire in a few years. And so you're gonna require a different product than the person who doesn't need to see a dime out of that until potentially they just sell it later down the road. So I think there's that. I, I mean, I think you're amiss if you're not looking at appreciation because that's the magic you know, lever of real estate that, that really doesn't always exist in other investable products. So, I mean, I think one of the things people get caught up to is in, in investing in the city they live in, even though it might, it might've already had its day. Um, and so, you know, really looking, is it worth looking 30 minutes, you know, further away in the other direction than the Metro center than where you live and stuff. And just to find where the numbers are a little better. Um, even if you have to have property management and then, and then I think the last one is the most interesting is we deal with this in the commercial side of our business a lot where, different people value property differently, right? Yeah. So if I have a vacation home and the neighboring property comes up for sale, um, I want that, right? Because I want to control who my neighbors are or expand my property. So, yeah. so I might jump on that even if it is being sold at a premium or I've always said my personal house, if my neighbor ever sold, I'm buying it, right? Because I yeah. want to have a double backyard or something and, yeah. and a rental right next to me. But again, she might, she might outlive us and just never sell. <laughs> so I think all three, right? I think, I think a good plan has the hedge of appreciation and cash flow built in based on your needs, but also you're ready for those unique opportunities that are only a real value to you because you have a different angle than, than general investor over here. Um, those are my favorite where they're just, it's just little secret deals that are only special to you. Yeah. And, and it also helps because if you think that, Hey, if someone wants to get out of it because their appreciation time is done and uh, or in their in their window, so they have held, they bought it at a certain price. It appreciated to seventeen percent. They're good with their portfolio. It may kind of slow appreciation for a while, but the person, like you said, who wants to have an income replacement play, and they don't care that all they wanted to replace income. Well, that may be a great deal for them because now it's a good income play, but it's not a great like a big bang appreciation play. So that's when good deals start to happen because one person, it, it is literally a win win from their goals perspective. Yeah, the two people's math are different. So, so they, they both are happy. That, and honestly, that's the best thing. Like, I'm not sure what the laws are down there in California or whatever, but up here as a broker, my level of disclosure when I do a personal deal is like ridiculous, right? Yeah. So I have to tell people what I intend to do, what I think the future value and current yes, value same, is. And yeah. so we, we only can write win, 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 win deals. Like I need the seller to be happy with anything I buy or else I could find myself in court. So it's exactly that, Sharon. It's finding something where we we appreciate value differently and everyone's happy with the current transaction, but we see the future. No problem yeah. where they don't see it, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, 100%, man. So I wrote down a couple notes here. So the first one is like, okay, you got to have some kind of charter or some kind of like, why am I getting into this? Because it's not like 
you know, it's not, it's not like just buying 10 shares of Google. There's a, there's a lot more at stake because from a complexity perspective, the second is, well, what does money look like? And I'd love to get in that for a second. What am I willing to, what are the chips that I have that I'm willing to put in place? The third is, well, um, who's my team? Like, what kind of advisors do I have that, because I'm not going to gunsling this on my own. And the fourth is, well, a win for me, I shouldn't overthink this as long as the math works and, and it's a win for me and my advisors sign off on this, the math doesn't need to work for the seller because they may have different goals in this process. So um, let, let's, let's talk about maybe some ideas around, um, you know, not having a lot of that upfront cash because, Jeff, I'll tell you, man, like the number one thing that I hear, there are two things that I always hear when it comes to investments, right? And you probably hear the third. The two things are, number one is, hey, I don't have that much cash up front. And the second is, I don't want to get the 2 a.m. call that a toilet's broken. Like literally those are the two things I hear all the time. And that, for some reason, people just shut down based on those two things. And those two things are very solvable or have a lot of options around it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the toilet call, just let's just tick that box. With It's called property management. You can choose to it. You're just going to have to find a, a better mathematical property to build in an extra expense. But yeah. I'll tell you, it's beautiful. I, I do not answer toilet calls. Um, somebody on my team or a project manager does. It's not my job. It's beautiful, guys. That's what you want. You want to manage property. Um, unless you got some free time. You don't mind checking in on your tenants. And then you make a little more profit. And this is actually a little tangent here, Sharon, is... Yeah. You know, one of the first times we ever met, um, you know, and I always say I get, I get my best advice in the hallways of conferences, not from the stage. And I don't, you probably don't even remember this because you give out so much advice to so many people, but I was bitching about something and you grabbed me in your Sharon way and said, Jeff, you got to stop like complaining this problem exists and declare it will exist forever and then start solving it. And I was like, holy crap. And it just like changed my world. And it's the same thing. And, and you can put an issue like, I don't want to get a call about a clogged toilet at 2 a.m. as the reason you never become an investor, or you can just solve it in one phone call and become an investor. So, so I think that one for sure, that's just like one of those procrastinator excuses. The other one's real, right? Yeah. We don't, not everyone has a hundred grand sitting around yeah. and also to save a hundred grand or 80 or whatever it's going to be for your first investment is tough. So I actually did write down a few little ideas. First yes, of all, yeah. listening to this and you are not in the game yet. Okay. Congrats. You have an opportunity to do it right from the beginning. Make your first house an investment. Buy a duplex, buy a fixer-upper, buy your, flip it and live in it while you flip in it, right? Instead of doing what I did and buy two or three family homes and keep upgrading and extending my mortgage payment before I became an investor, think of your very first purchase, even if it's the home you're going to live in, as an investment. Look at it that way, even if you're the rent payer, right? That's number one. Number two, if you have a house, congratulations. The market's been really good in most parts of our countries for the last little while. You probably have a hundred grand yeah. that you can access. This is how I bought my vacation home. I didn't pull a dime out of my own money. It just, they took the equity of my main house and they put a down payment on a vacation house. Presto, you have two homes. Yeah. People don't believe this, but I'm like, it's that easy. People are like, how do you buy a cottage? You just call your banker. They will buy, let you buy one, right? <laughs> um, so if you've got there, those are the two main ones. And then three, if you don't, if you can't save it up, right, you got to get creative. And again, this is the fun part. I'll tell you, my, my personal investment partnership, it's, it's four of us, my, my uh, partner here at the brokerage and then two outside uh, partners. Our team, even though we're well-funded adults, we committed to put $0 into our new venture, right? Zero actual capital. We could awesome. loan it in and, and write it back out. 
We can do JV deals. We can do uh, seller take back mortgages, but we've been able to acquire millions of dollars of property already in one year. You know, not millions of equity, right? We owe, we owe a lot on it, but without putting a single of our own dollars into that venture. Right. So this kind of stuff's available to you, but again, yes, you're going to have to do a little work. You're going to have to talk to some people. You're going to have to find an angle. The last part, this is my favorite. The last part is add value to somebody else's deal. Right. Partnerships are a beautiful thing because multiple skills are needed to run a deal. So maybe you're just the person that finds the deal. Maybe you're the one that's in charge of all the construction and actually doing the flip. Maybe you're the property manager, right? But there's other ways to generate this side hustle income so that you then have that, that nest egg to buy the asset, right? So you can either go creatively trying to buy assets without capital, or you can find creative ways to create capital and then move it over into your nest egg. And I like both approaches. Yeah. I, um, I don't think I've told you this. I, I'll, I'll tell you how I bought my first one. Right on. And um, my, uh, my partner, who is currently my partner now, he's a partner in all my stuff. He's been my mentor for uh, 20 plus years. He told me, he, he's like, hey, you, uh, this was when we were running my first startup. And I, I was an early startup CEO, made no money at that time at, at Venture Money and all of that. And he says, hey, you have some friends who will write a check, don't you? I was like, not really. And, and, and he's like, well, are you telling me that you can't get 10 friends to write a hundred grand check? I said, there's no way I have 10 friends who can like pony up a hundred thousand dollar check. And so I had this idea. I said, well, he, then he asked me, he's like, well, what do you think they can write? I said, well, maybe every 60, 90 days, if they had the right deal, they could probably peel off 10 grand. He goes, Okay. How would you make that work? And this is how I put it together, Jeff. We created a pledge fund. So um, it was 10 people at uh, 100 grand each. That's what they pledged. And me, zero, no money in, right? And so I wrote in a 10% profit share for me, but I did all the work. So I put zero money in the deal. I got 10 people to pledge $100,000. But only 10 grand was due at the signing as the buy-in. And I could never ask for more uh, never call more than $10,000 in a 90 day period. That's essentially, that was the entire plan, right? So right at signing of these documents, I got a hundred grand, like right then, because 10 people wrote me a $10,000 check. And then every 90 days I would, I could call another hundred grand. I still have rental properties from that original portfolio. I bet. <laughs> and, and zero money out of my pocket. And it was like a standard LLC agreement. They were all members. Whenever they contributed capital, I didn't have to write a big fund or anything like that. These were my 10 friends. Yes, we lost, we lost money a couple of times on properties, but net, net, sure. they were like, dude, I'm in. I, I still haven't even called all the capital yet. Those, I have guys in that fund who still owe me money, but we've recycled, refied. It's been 18 years. And that original LLC, like there's, it still pays me, which is amazing. And I get 10% of all the, uh, profits after their like their their slug is paid, which is awesome. So they are like, hey, I only have to come out of pocket 10k because I don't have the hundred grand. And now we're all on a WhatsApp thread, and we get to give each other crap about everything, which is which is amazing. So they're all we all friends invested together, and I never thought that would have ever been possible. So you can also raise a little pledge fund. Because you probably have friends that may not be able to write a hundred thousand dollar check, but they could write a ten thousand dollar check. And I still remember, Jeff, there was two of them, two out of the ten, committed from their IRAs. 
So it was a self-directed IRA um, and it took them a little while to get it set up uh, to actually be able to wire the money. And, and I've done a lot of investments for my IRA. So every time my IRA hit, like I always tell myself, every time my IRA hits doubles the money in, um, in stocks, because over the years I take the full appreciation and I put it into self-directed. So I buy Goldman stock for hundred dollars. It becomes $200. I take the full hundred, put it into self-direction and I keep my Goldman stock hundred and wait for it to grow again. And that's, at least I gave myself a pathway to saying, okay, people are like, well, I have all this money in my 401k. I'm like, there's a way to still unlock this without kind of crushing yourself financially. Yeah, for sure. I know. I mean, the rules are different in our two countries. I know up here too, we call them our RSPs, your, your 401ks, and you can lend private mortgage in, inside of those too. Yeah. And like, there, again, you know, when we hold these seminars, actually right in this space before all the COVID junk, yeah. but we used to hold these big investor seminars where we'd, you know, a lot of people walk away from the seminar realizing, you know, they'd be better off just being a money investor to other people that are hustling. And then you realize that about half the room is that, and the other half of the room is construction people. You're like, holy geez, um, you know, we have to be the connector. And, and I'll say, you know, that, that story you told is really good because it shows people, you know, what is possible. But the honest truth is that you had the, you had the ability to conceptualize the whole deal and everyone had the trust and faith in you, right? So if right. this is something you're going to go down, you have to build that, right? You have to, you can't approach your friends and say, hey, I've got this wild idea. It might work. You got to be like, here's the exact business plan. This is why I know it's a no brainer. Right. Here's my, our, our advisors. Yeah. And then everyone's excited about it because everyone wants to do this, right? right? Everyone wants to see their hard earned money become, you know, passive money or fun, you know, investment and, and buying long-term stocks for most people, isn't that exciting? Mutual yeah. funds and stuff. The thing I love about real estate investing too, even for the passive investor that lends you money is you can send them a picture of the construction. They can drive by the site, right? It's real. And that's what I love about it so much is like, it's real. It's not just a stock ticker, right? Yeah. What, what, so Jeff, what happens? Um, let's talk about the, 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 the financing piece. Cause I think a lot of people kind of are like, yeah. okay, Hey, I, I, I think a lot of it is just unfamiliarity because they've done a loan on their personal residence based on their personal assets and all of that. And literally they've never talked to a mortgage banker since then. And what would you suggest if, so let's say we'll use the same hundred thousand dollar number. I am willing to put a hundred thousand dollars into a, into a potential investment. Uh, generally it's roughly 25% for easy math, right? So let's say it's a $400,000 buy. What, what should I do next? Like, do I talk to an agent first? Do I talk to a banker first? Like, what is the steps on, like, what are the first few dominoes I need to knock off to like start to get in the game? Yeah. I mean, I think assembling your team and doing your, your research through that team is really key. And so who the first piece is, I guess, is kind of up to who's, who do you trust the most? So, you know, a great mortgage broker in the investment state will probably lead you to a realtor and lead you to an account in mortgage. So, I'd, I'd really be looking again to, to find advice from someone you know and trust that already has gone through a property and see try to tap into their advisor network or do a deal with them, right? But in terms of coming down to the money, I think that's really important too. Like we, we zoned in on, you know, having an experienced real estate agent, but it might even be more important to have an experienced money person, right? Because a lot of us, you know, if we're talking about primary residence, there's an entire market for that. And that's the market we're mostly used to this a lending bank money, you know, very kind of low rate secure. And so sometimes when we first get started in investing and you realize you call that same person and you don't qualify for anything right. based on your income and to hold another property or whatever. And then you think that's a no and you just finish and you don't realize that that's like step one of 15 in the yeah. mortgage market that there is money. If, if you have a deal to do, 
someone will give you the money. It's just, is now does the math work with that person's money, right? Right. So I, I would, the nicest thing is to have a broker that understands all of those tranches of money and can walk you through them and only doesn't go after banks or secondary lenders or private money. The perfect mortgage broker has their own money, right? Or, yeah. or they have all their arm's length investors that they go through them and write private mortgages. That's the best. Yeah. Um, so, so again, getting tapped into that little network where people actually do this stuff. It's not you teaching your advisors. That's the key. <laughs> yeah. How, how do, so how does somebody, I, I at least understand as a consumer that I can literally go to a, a pick a market nearby, a, a Laguna, Irvine, California, and I can say realtors in Irvine, and I can actually search and find realtors in Irvine. I can maybe look at there. I can do some research and figure out what they have, don't have experience, et cetera. How do I find a kind of a mortgage broker contact? Well, I mean, I think you could, you could start doing it like a job application that way if you want. I, I'd actually propose an alternative path that might be more fun is that you're probably better off trying to find a support group for investors, a meetup, a, a wow. Facebook group, right? Of other local investors. Everybody's alone, right? All, all small investors are alone. Nobody went to school for this. So you'll find these incredible online communities, or like I said, we hold these big, uh, like 40 people here and they all network and get to know each other or join a Facebook group or, or, you know, there's lots of little coaching environments too, that you can go to seminars and, you know, sure there's a cost to entry, but just like going to real estate seminars, Ron, it's, it's about networking in that room and getting, and getting, building your Rolodex and having people to call. So I would say if you can actually find other active investors first, then finding good advisors is going to be easy. It's also like you find this thing, like once you actually get into owning a few properties, you realize there's these like universal tenant blacklists and stuff, right? That as a beginner investor, you don't know anything about, but then you realize, oh, I can be part of this group where we all kind of help each other. Because like you said, it's not that competitive, right? Everyone's out there just buying one or two of these things. It's not like you're up against some, you know, fund uh, in the marketplace. So it's a very collaborative thing. Once you meet some other local investors, it can be the, the gateway to really accelerating your success. Dude, I, I am so glad that you brought that up because um, if, if I were like, I, I, before I got on with you today, I was like, okay, what would I do knowing what I know now, which is a great question. I love kind of even, even putting ourselves in that situation, right? Knowing what I know now, what would I do if I was just starting? And like, literally that's would be the first thing that I would do is I would just do research on, Hey, what are the communities out there that are supporting this, this, this kind of this game, right. And it may be local meetups. It may be, Hey, you know, orange County investing. It could just be, you know, starting to like download bigger pockets and just getting familiar with vocabulary. It's, I think there's a, um, I always make, um, I'll use a very simple social media analogy to this, right. Uh, I have, I actually have people across the board, across age groups will tell me, well, uh, I've never been on Instagram. Instagram is really hard. It's really complicated. And I go, well, here's the analogy. The analogy is, you drive a car every day. And, but, but the crazy part is we get in the car in our garage, we put the seatbelt on, turn the radio on, check, check our email while taking a sip of coffee, all at the same time, open the garage door back out without hitting anybody. And like your, you know, daughter's little fluffy dinosaur, like you are able to navigate that out and you just drive without any concept of like all the, that complexity is insane. Right. But then you go to, you fly to, to Toronto to meet Jeff, and then you get a rental car and you're like, I don't even know how to back out of the stall because you don't know where the lever is, where the gear is, whatever, but you know how to drive. And so it's not that 
you just are unfamiliar with the dials and the buttons you just for, for a few minutes. Right. And so my, a lot of times I just say it's, it's, you know, it's all about like drawing boxes and pushing buttons, like just which box goes where, how does each box go and what buttons can you push more? And the familiarity drives insane confidence. And so if I can just get familiar with someone saying, Hey, here's the, you know, ARV on this property, or here's the, you know, cost of capital for this, or here's the down payment for this, or here's the buy box for this, or here's the ROI on this, or here's the cash on cash return on this. If I start throwing out terms, you're not like, oh my gosh, now I'm in, in kind of in term, uh, you know, overwhelm. So the, ter- the groups and like just a couple of podcasts or, or video shows just, I think gives you insane familiarity. So my question for you is, do, do you, are there any active podcasts or shows that you kind of like that you listen to on a, on a regular basis? Yeah. I mean, for me, I mean, I do like uh, the bigger pockets channel. It's, I think they're really humble and down to earth guys and yeah. a variety of hosts, right. That just really um, continue to pump out really quality content. I actually try to model a bit of my own content after them because yeah. they're so successful. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, it's, it's hard. I, I don't have a lot of other influences just because I'm in, so into it day to day. So it's, it's like my team and my advisors were always talking, but I agree with you. I think, you know, knowledge is power. So if you're going to, if you're going to take on this, like get excited about it. I think go back to what you were just saying, one of these, like a little more on the coachy side of things, but this, this like resistance to be a beginner again at something is what stops people from learning anything new, right? Like just accept that it's, you're going to suck at it for the first two times and it's going to be awkward. And someone, you might sound stupid in a conversation, but you have to go through that to be a pro. There's no shortcut. Yeah. And, and so that to me, like I just put out a, a really simple video and, and I had to realize too, like, I don't do what I say in that video because I have a magical spreadsheet I type four numbers into and it tells me if I have a deal, but that doesn't help an investor to give them that spreadsheet, right? Yeah. What I wanted to do with that video was give a tutorial and say, Hey, if you're not ready to be an investor, run this sheet 15 yeah. times, get yeah, comfortable with it yeah. so yeah. that you can just see a house and know it's a deal. You don't even need the spreadsheet anymore. Yeah. And to me, that's the thing, whether it's, you know, picking up a new sport or, or an instrument or something or investing. But a, a lot of us are just like, as soon as it feels a bit out of our comfort zone, we're like, well, I don't like feeling stupid. So I just, never mind. this isn't for me. And, and that's just the tragedy uh, across all things. So. I really like that video with the gray boxes that automatically filled itself out, man. You know, I, that was, that was awesome. And, and I will link up the video for people to get that. And if you, if you're driving, it's, it'll be on Jeff Thibodeau's channel on YouTube as well, but I'll make sure to link it up. So Jeff, I, I, I this, we may almost, I had a whole, slew of questions to ask you. Maybe that becomes episode two right here that we can record. But before we kind of wrap this up, knowing, I love ask, knowing what you know now, if you could kind of say, hey, if I have a little bit of advice and perspective to give to Jeff 10 years ago, um, what is kind of, what is that advice and perspective? Well, it's, I mean, it's super clear for me because if I, you know, I've been a real estate agent for 12 years and I've only been an investor for two. So, I mean, I would have become a, an investor before I was even a real estate agent. Instead, I was, I was thinking about, like, I think a lot of my age bracket did too, is we buy, we want to buy our first home to be the same as our parents' current home and stuff. So we don't, it would have been so much smarter if I just would have knocked the first purchase <laughs> down a little bit or bought a duplex. I would be a million bucks ahead right now. Wow. So it, it's just like, if you... If you are, so I'm 39, right? If you're 29, if you're 25, Sharana, I, I could pull up this email. My, one of my old kids' babysitters, she's now 21. She just literally emailed today and said, I'm thinking about buying a rundown house near the university to renovate and rent to students. I was like, 
So this amazing. Incredible. Yeah. Right. I'm like, let me hold your hand. I'll do the deal with you. If this is your first, this is so exciting because you're 21, you will be retired at 35 and I can't go back in the time machine. So I have to double down now. I have to do a lot more boots on the ground. I got to hustle harder. I got to try to turn deals faster that if I would have started a, a decade ago and just bought one, you know, five years later, bought another. Yeah. It's so the time is the thing, right. With this game. So yeah, I, I would say, you know, just get into it and realize that even if your first one or two aren't, aren't slam dunks, you're going to be so much further ahead than someone who never started. Um, and this could be a huge, huge part of your portfolio. Yeah. Um, hey, so if you're listening here, the one big chunk of questions that I had for Jeff was like, what nobody tells you about investing in real estate. And so uh, we're going to kind of make that part two. So uh, jump right ahead to part two with my main man, Jeff Thibodeau on what nobody tells you about investing in real estate. Hey, Sharon, I have a cool gift for you. I took some of my best ideas from the last 20 years and created a five-day MBA. It's quick and action-packed that you can listen to on the go, just like this podcast. And I want to give it to you for free, just as a thank you for listening to the show. No fluff, no gimmicks, just pure actionable ideas for you to use instantly. You can grab it right now at businessschoolshow.com. That's businessschoolshow.com dot com.